want to go to there. Snipe! Saw the window and I just couldn't resist it. Francie doesn't like coffee ice cream. Hi, for those of you who just tuned in, everyone here is a crazy person. Are we having fun yet? <laughs> yes, it's... 30 Helens agree. Never mind. Maybe the dingo ate your baby. It's kind of flying, actually. Would you believe it? And you beautiful tropical fish. Don't mention the war. Clear eyes, but hearts get Hello and welcome to the Televerse, Sound On Sight's TV podcast. This is Kate Kulzik and I'm joined as ever by Simon Howell. It occurs to me, Simon, I've been saying Sound On Sight's TV podcast out of habit, but there's another TV podcast that we have now, so I need to come up with a new introduction. I guess you do. You could say original TV podcast? Original flavor, and then, because of course, Sean and Randy have the mid-season replacements, uh, which is... uh, a more topic-driven conversation with they also check in on Arrow and Cora, but um, but yeah, I'm gonna have to come up with something new. So I, I'll take suggestions from the audience. That we're gonna keep this opening segment pretty short uh, because I I was so foolish. I got cocky last week celebrating the fact that neither one of us was sick, and so the fates have smote me with a beast of a cold, which I'm sure the listeners can hear in my voice. Um, so yeah, it's been a fun week for me. How's the week going for you? Uh, I can't complain. I don't have a mega cold. Um, it, it will, we're going to, we will strive to keep things tidy and not overly long this week for the sake of your vocal cords, uh, which, uh, <laughs> listeners I know should not... know how that'll go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll see how that goes. It's, you didn't pick a good week for us to keep things short. No, I did not. I really did not. But, um. That means several of the shows that we usually check in on, uh, unless we have something new to say, we're going to hold off until next week, and we're going to skip the the listener feedback this week, though we do really very much appreciate it. So if you know, please keep the, the tweets and the comments of the website and emails and all that coming. Uh, we still very much appreciate it. At the end of the podcast, we're talking with Sonia Soraya, the TV critic for Salon, about uh, we did a segment looking at the different uh, adaptations of superhero comics on TV right now. We kept it live action, and we excluded Walking Dead. That's like its own thing. So we looked at uh, Constantine, Gotham, uh, Arrow, Flash, and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and just kind of what's working and what's not, and just got into some different ideas about those shows. That's coming at the end of the podcast. That was, a, uh, that was an entertaining conversation. Um, in the regular part of the show, we are going to talk a little bit about a couple of those. Uh, this week, you checked in on which shows, Simon? Uh, well, this week, for, for the purposes of that segment, I checked in on Arrow and Constantine. <sighs> yeah, so we're going to talk uh, a little more specifics about that in our weekend yeah. TV, and we'll go larger thematic ideas uh, and the, at the end of the podcast. Anyways, uh, let's dive right into it. Uh, so we'll take a break, and we'll come back right now with our week in comedy. Keep your legs closed. Keep your legs 
This week in comedy, I'm going to mention briefly the McCarthy's pilot, and then Adventure Time is back. Yay! Yay! As well as we'll talk a little Key and Peel, and of course, Jaden the Virgin. Uh, first up, the McCarthy's pilot was much better than I expected, but I expected it to be terrible and offensive, and it wasn't that. It was just not very good. So that is two points for CBS, uh, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, they just Some of the stuff in there just... I can't accept or buy into a world where someone's been raised around sports and they call it the sports. Um, that would just it would never happen. And the fact that I've been thinking about that says that this show isn't for me. But I do really have to say, I mean, as far as the CBS comedies go, I think it's better than several of the other ones that I've seen recently. Um, definitely more uh, better comedy than, say, The Millers. Uh, so you know, of the various CBS comedies, I'm going to exclude mom from this. I would say the McCarthy's is one of the better ones I've seen in quite a while. Uh, that's, that being said, I'm still not very interested in sticking around week to week. Uh, but it's, it's always good to be pleasantly surprised with a, with a comedy pilot, right? That's something, right? That's a thing. That's a thing. So again, like we said, keeping it short this week. So I'm going to move right on to Adventure Time, Ghost Fly. How wonderful is it to have Adventure Time back? It, it is wonderful. It's also nice when they get to cut loose with a one-off that has no connection to the show's larger mythology. I feel like they should they should be able to do that every few weeks just because it's always delightful. And this was no exception. Uh, was I the only one who actually found some of this a little bit creepy even? No, there was definitely some creepy in here. Uh, I And of course, the right dash of... Uh, a dose of, of adorable as well. Bimo with his karate was pretty great. Always fun with that. Uh, and and just the uh, the them being chased out of the ho- the the house because the uh, the ghost will leave ghost poop on you was was pretty entertaining as well. Uh, what did you think about that conclusion? Once again, just like nope, you die. That was I mean that was a classic Adventure Time move to you know subvert expectation in a not too in your face kind of way with just the right bit of comic flair. Oh, I miss the show. When is it coming back? I miss I mean, we got spoiled with a fifty two episode season last year, and now that we've had that once, I'm annoyed that we don't get that all the time, even though I'm sure that they're working like dogs in that in that animation house to get to to have cranked that out. So, you know just do your best, but also give us more episodes, please. Faster, <laughs> faster, and more of them. But just it could be just think, remember it could be Venture Brothers. So <laughs> oh god, we well, yeah, they, they've obviously got the opposite situation in terms of number of animators and voice people and general talent on hand. Yeah, so uh, we we love both those shows. We want them both to come back. Hopefully, they will be back soon. For right now, let's move on to Key and Peele's scariest movie ever. Last year, they had a pretty fantastic Halloween episode. How did this episode live up to that? This was not as good, mostly because I think that previous Halloween episode is probably the best they've ever done. I mean, Continental Breakfast alone is probably the best bit of sketch comedy of the last five years, maybe? Uh, I don't know if that's controversial or not. Probably it isn't, because there's not that much great sketch comedy coming out these days. But I think this was another case for the fact that this is, in terms of production values and visual design and direction, there's nothing even close to rivaling what Key and Peele are doing right now. Even even when a sketch doesn't land in terms of the funny, there's usually something to appreciate about it in terms of performance, in terms of how it looks. And I think what was really impressive about some of these sketches is that, especially, for instance, 
the sketch in the hospital with, uh, with, you know, the, with the doctor and the possessed child. Uh, I mean, a grown man playing a possessed kid at a Make-A-Wish Foundation event, that shouldn't work as, I mean, it can work as comedy, but it shouldn't work as something that's actually kind of creepy. And it actually does. Yeah, it was definitely creepy. I have to jump in, though, to say there's a lot going on in sketch comedy right now. So I think you're crazy for saying there's not that much going. I mean, not right now, airing right now. But I mean, if you look at the years, you got Amy Schumer, you got got all these other shows that even ones that we haven't talked about on the podcast. I just two cents there to be continued when I'm not sick. Um, for this episode, uh, yeah, that that last the 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 Make a Wish Kid sketch was, I think, my favorite because it was both really funny and also really creepy. Uh, some credit has to go to the score as well. That the 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 camera, uh, the direction. I'm guessing it's Peter Tensio. He's directed most of the previous seasons. Um, I'm not gonna look it up right now. Again, see re sick, uh, but the the direction was really good. The scoring was really good, and this, the performances were great too. Mm-hmm. I also love the Hall of Mirrors sketch. Yeah, I mean it was it was it was classic Key and Peel in the sense of taking a familiar concept and putting just a little tweak on it in a familiar way, and then finding figuring out exactly the right amount to beat a joke into the ground and then leaving. Uh, that that sketch was a great example of that. Yeah, I'm glad that we have another Key and Peel that we're both really on board with. Uh, let's move on to our last comedy of the week, and that's Jane the Virgin, uh, Chapter 3. You've also seen Chapter 4. I haven't gotten a chance to see it yet. Uh, chapter 3 had that fabulous uh, guilt choir that you heard ushering us into this segment. Um, what else did you enjoy about these episodes? Did they maintain the momentum? They absolutely do, and something that I, I find fascinating about Jane the Virgin, I was thinking about this while watching episode four, because the clip just never stops, and I, what I find fascinating is the way it combines these over-the-top soapy plot developments with characters behaving in an emotionally realistic fashion. Like, it doesn't... For instance, um, something... Ha- I won't spoil it for you yet, Kate, but something happens in episode four... And in any other show, the character that it happens to could have clammed up about it and made their life really... and like Because it would have been the easier thing to do. It would have been to say nothing and move on with their life and just sort of let it be more complicated and uh, et cetera, et cetera. But that character doesn't operate like that, so they get to the next... Like, <laughs> Anyway, I'm I'm being I'm being circular, but characters behave in a way that makes sense for them, not in a way that is uh, that facilitates the plot. It, well, I mean, it does, but not in a in a in a stereotypical soapy way, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a really interesting balance. I don't know if I'm explaining this correctly, but the plot mechanics are are really over the top, but the way that the characters behave isn't well and that's been something it's been a strength of the show since the pilot when the pilot sets up this rube goldberg device of situations that lead to jane being artificially inseminated and then says okay yes this is all ridiculous but what if it did happen how would you react what is the honest reaction to this and and i'm glad to hear that they're they're continuing that through episode four i look forward to watching it uh once I get a chance, uh, and certainly in, I enjoyed that in episode three. I like that they brought up in episode three, well, she's going to have a baby anyways. Why is she waiting to have sex? 
yeah, you know, so I, you know, and I like that in episode three, they're already addressing this. In episode three of a show called Jane the Virgin, uh, yeah. which I'm just, I'm just going to throw it out there. She's not going to be a virgin by the end of the season. There's no way, but you never know. Um, I, I suppose. But yeah, I, I mean, that had to be, everyone at least was thinking it at some point during, I would say, episode two. So for them to get to that by episode three is great. And they get to something by episode four that I wasn't expecting them to jump to right away, but it makes sense for the circumstance. So yes, Jane the Virgin, still just awesome. devouring plot. Uh, how how they're gonna again? I don't know why I'm so worried about this, but how they're gonna keep this up for an entire series? I have no idea. I I would love for it to keep going. I, I love the idea of them getting to chapter 122. <laughs> That's just inherently funny to me. But uh, anyway, and then and the narration continues to be superb. Although the fourth epi- the fourth episode doesn't contain any of the sort of more uh, more in your face comic moments with that. It's still great. Well, what wins your week in comedy then? We got some contenders here. I do. Um, I'm, I'm still going to have to give it to Jane the Virgin just because I, I don't hear about people watching it, which is unfortunate, and they should. They should. I don't understand why everyone isn't talking about this show. We are, and there's like two other critics that I know who love it, and everybody else is just kind of even the people who like it aren't talking about it, and I don't I don't get that. So uh, you give it to Jane the Virgin, I'll give the nod to Key and Peele just to spread the love a little bit. But yeah, everybody again, watch Jane the Virgin. It's so good. Um, now we'll take a break and we'll come back with our week in genre. Earth. Avatar can master all four elements and bring balance to the world. This week in genre, I'm going to speak quickly about Doctor Who, Dark Water, which is the first part of the two-part finale of the season. Uh, I'll talk about Edward Mordrake Part 2, which is the most recent episode of American Horror Story Freak Show, and then also, that's right, Legend of Korra, Enemy at the Gate, because I'm caught up, guys what then uh then simon and i will both talk about uh arrow the magician and constantine the darkness beneath so uh first up doctor who my review unfortunately still isn't up because my voice um but my quick thoughts on this are that i've seen most people that i at least the reviews that i've read seem to really have enjoyed this episode um i did not i thought there was some stuff in it that was that was good uh, but that's the, you know, I tweeted this out finale, your Moffat is showing. And so there's a couple scenes that are incredibly contrived that are intended to be the emotional cores of the, of this episode or the, you know, especially the scene we get early on with Clara and the TARDIS keys. Um, but again, I can't get behind a scene so painfully contrived as that one. The notion that the doctor needs a key to get into the TARDIS, a living sentient being that loves him is insane to me and the fact that they're trying to derive suspense out of that especially when the doctor can snap his fingers and get into the TARDIS it just completely fell flat and it was again just the contrivance of it really annoyed me um also I don't trust that they're gonna leave Danny dead and so to to kill him the way that they did while it's powerful and could bring up some interesting stuff for Clara I don't trust that they're not gonna undo it which 
immediately has me less invested than I would would like to be in a character that I very have you know that I really have enjoyed. I think the best thing they've done this season has been the introduction of Danny. They've really handled that character very well, um, and you know, there's a lot of interesting things that they've been doing with Clara as well. But uh, I don't trust them to stick the landing. So I hope to be wrong next week. Um, and then the other thing is that uh, the stuff with Missy, you know, the the overall scheme, I guess, makes sense for the character. Um, I, I'm, I'm trying to keep this, I'll keep this vaguely spoiler free in case some, somebody still has to catch up with Doctor Who. The reveal of who that character is, is fine as far as I'm concerned. Um, I just, I, I, I'm really tired of that character. It feels very, very, this, this interpretation of that character feels very much just like all the other psychotic, well-dressed women that have been on the show. And uh, so when we have uh, Missy just pinning the doctor against the wall in in the kiss that he doesn't want, I'm like, oh, look, it's about the 10th time that's happened in the last couple seasons. Moffat really needs to get over his notion that unwanted sexual advances are funny because uh, they're not. Uh, anyways, so there's that as well as the character doesn't feel distinct at all, does not feel like a continuation of the larger thread of of that character instead just feels like a continuation of this this affinity Moffat has for crazy women psychotic women uh obsessed with the doctor uh in tailored suits or tailored jackets I should say so yeah there's um I, I was very disappointed with this episode even though there were some things that worked uh anyways American Horror Story Edward Mordrake I thought it was interesting that they killed off Tricky is it is his name Tricky there you go you got it I kept calling him Twisty the clown uh, so quickly in the season, um, there's there's some you know I, th- I enjoyed this episode. I thought the first part was more interesting, but um, we'll see where the rest of the season goes. And uh, finding out about Elsa's legs uh, that was a rather gruesome way to go with that. And um, yeah, I, I I continue to be I guess on board even if I'm not wowed by this season of American Horror Story, uh, Legend of Korra. I took advantage of being unable to do anything for the past several days to catch up with all of Legend of Korra, and guess what, guys? It's it's really good. It's a really fun show, and y'all should watch it. And uh, I like what they've been doing in this last season. I like that they spend what amounts to like a third of their season exploring the main character having PTSD, basically. Uh, I thought that's a really bold choice, and I like I like what they're doing with that. Um, bringing back Toph. Uh, I haven't seen Avatar yet, but I like uh, um, those scenes in the, in the, in the swamp. And uh, the, yeah, this is a show that is, that really gets its action right. I love the action sequences on the show. And also it does this, it has a surprisingly deft hand with the character relationships and um, is very willing to let things lie. And I, I appreciate that. So I'm enjoying Korra this season and I probably will check in just a couple more times before the end of the series when I hope at that point we'll do a DVD shelf um, after the finale. But uh, for now, let's move on to the shows that you've seen so you can talk for a while. Uh, Simon, yeah, that's probably a good idea. Tell me a little bit about, uh, we'll talk about Arrow, I guess, and Constantine together. Um, what did you think? Uh, let's start with Arrow. What did you think of The Magician? Uh, so, I mean, of all the shows that we're talking about in the segment with Sonya, Arrow's the one I've seen the least of. I didn't see any of season two. I saw maybe two episodes or three episodes in season, in season one, and I'm checking in with it now. So obviously on a mythology level, there's a lot I'm missing out on. And I spent quite a bit of this episode thinking, eh, 
or just generally thinking that's a thing that I don't have the background on, therefore I can't expect to have that work for me. So obviously this isn't necessarily the easiest show to check back in on, even with a previously on. But I mean, compared to the show that I remember, it's clearly gotten better. It's clearly got a way more developed universe than it did. I think, I mean, it's, it's had, you know, 40 some odd episodes to do that. So it makes sense. Uh, it's still not a show I like. It's still not for me. Okay. Why? But, um, I find it's combination of pretty standard world building with its self seriousness and just the lack of uh, distinctiveness in terms of that world. You know, I, I don't really know what distinguishes uh, Starling City from Gotham or any other sort of city where evil runs afoul. Um, <laughs> uh, I just amused myself with that turn of phrase, uh, is what you just heard. You know, I, I just, uh, and again, like, it's not really fair because I'm just checking in on it this week and I know that one of the most beloved characters was on The Flash this week, except for her, like, 10 seconds on screen. But, uh, I don't know, I'm, I discussed this more in the segment, but I'm still waiting for a superhero show that manages to be a superhero show while also doing something else really, really well. And to me, uh, Arrow is doing something else really, really efficiently, but not really, really distinctively, if that makes any sense. Okay. How did the different uh, characters work for you? Uh, for me, in this episode, I was glad to see, first of all, like, uh, Katrina Law, right? Yes. Show up uh, from Spartacus as one of the daughters of Ra's al Ghul, uh, which is fun casting as far as I'm concerned, because that means she'll be around for a while. But uh, not having all the backstory, because again, I've sort of jumped in and out over the series run. I thought it was... I was first impressed with and then saddened by the fact that I was impressed with the show for making <laughs> one of its most beloved um, recurring characters who was killed off earlier in the season bisexual and openly bisexual and ha putting her in this relationship with this other character who shows up here. Um, what did you think about that? I thought that was interesting. Isn't that also happening on Gotham? Yeah. It is. <laughs> Wait a minute. Why did you say it like that? Because there's no Gotham. chemistry between them, and they're trying really hard. And the way that they're playing it on Gotham just feels more like they're going for shock value, whereas on here it just seems like, oh, yeah, that was a relationship. There's somebody they care deeply about. As opposed to on Gotham, right. it's like, oh, you were with oh. a woman? Okay. What? I'm not going to comment on it, but I'm going to look in a particular way so that it seems like I'm shocked and we're going to, I'm not going to talk about it because I'm a good guy. That, that means that I'm accepting. <laughs> yeah. We're not there yet. Are we? No. Um, but no, you're right. Like it's, it's, it, it's not a high bar that it's, that it's getting over, but it's nice that it's trying. Mm. What about uh, Merlin? Uh, what did you think of, uh, you know, Captain Jack there? That's right. You don't have that Torchwood background. What did you? No, think I of know. John who, I know who. I know who John Barrowman is. I was like, oh, he's a thing. He's a guy from a thing that I haven't watched. I recognized him from DVD covers. Uh, he's fine. I don't know. I mean, without the attachment of having watched it long term, n none of the characters seem particularly distinctive to me. Fair enough. Maybe that's different if you've watched more of it. Well, he's. Uh, yeah, I. I, I I'm not going to disagree that that can be an issue uh, for Arrow, and certainly it was an issue that was that was a barrier to entry for me for a while. Um, so I think you know, I, I 
I see what you're saying, basically, and it makes sense. And this is this was a fun episode, but it wasn't the most action-packed of you know what they've done so far. And the, certainly, the show I think is in transition right now. They're building up. You know, they're clearly they're going to make Laurel um, follow in her sister's footsteps and be the new uh, Black Canary. Um, so there's there's some stuff that they're building towards, but this isn't you know a big action-packed must-watch kind of episode. So. Well, let's let's transition though and say, what did you think of Constantine, the darkness beneath? <laughs> this show is terrible. It's just uh, not I, good. I, it's not a good show. I I we talk about it a little bit at the segment, and I think I maybe try to be nicer there, but uh, no, it's not good. Um, I know a lot of people are really into Matt Ryan in this role. To me, he's I mean he's fine. He's he's doing what is asked of him in an in a perfectly satisfactory fashion, but he's a cobbling together of a bunch of characters I'm already familiar with and not even trying to be a distinct thing. Uh, I mean, maybe he's an, that maybe that's an accurate reflection of the comics. I don't know. I haven't read them, but as a thing to watch on my TV, it's not exciting to me. I mean, I watched both episodes and the way that they handle did, what what is it? What happened with the first female lead? Did they just not like her, or what? Well, I'm guessing they watched it, but oh, they have no chemistry. Let's write her out and get somebody better. And then they wrote her out, and they got somebody else. <laughs> I mean, but it's but the but the person that they replace her with is a character from the comics, like an important one. So yeah. that seems like a strategic, like a very specific decision. Yeah, instead of going because I think they. The original character is much more the audience surrogates, like, oh, what is this new world? And then they, I think they determined that they didn't need that and that it would be better to go with a more fleshed out, uh, interesting character and a character comic book fans would be excited to see as well, which is why they went with Zed. Um, but, I mean, just they they didn't do a good job. I actually, I, maybe it's just me, but I prefer the character in the pilot, if only because she seemed like potentially a real human person. Who, who responds to stimuli in a way that I can at least recognize and isn't arbitrarily obsessed with uh, with our protagonist and doesn't make like doesn't alternate between serious face and googly eyes. Yeah, for the entire hour, like you know, in the in the the woman in the pilot, you know, she at least you know she has a job. She seems to have she has a coworker who we get a scene with. She has a friend who dies, but. And, you know, she she reacts to Constantine himself in a fairly understandable way. I appreciated all those things. Maybe they weren't, uh, maybe it wasn't, you know, uh, fire and gasoline, but it was something. Whereas this Zed character, maybe they'll do something interesting with that over time, but neither the performance nor the writing worked for me on any level. Well, the, if, if the part of the point is to take away, feel like you don't need to hold the audience's hand with a character who knows nothing like the audience... Then, then why do you introduce Zed as someone who knows nothing? She she's introduced as she's drawing these pictures. She sees these things and she draws them, but she has no clue what's going on. She has no life of her own. She has uh she just happens to stumble into him and like I guess that's fate. Uh, and and really, if they didn't try to make her a love interest, I think a lot of the this would have been solved because then, first of all, she wouldn't randomly be making googly eyes at some guy. They wouldn't be trying to force these scenes where the two of them have no chemistry. They have no romantic chemistry. Take a page from uh, from Sleepy Hollow's book. You don't need to have. Yes, there. I know there are so many shippers for Ikabi <laughs> or whatever the the name is, um, but you don't need to have 
a a will they won't they as your central you know uh, male female dynamic and a lot of the times it's going to be more interesting and give them more to play with if they don't try to force that right away i just realized the sleepy hollow writers may have called her abby because they knew there was no good shipping name for those two (laughs) um anyway no yeah you're absolutely right and that <laughs> that sequence where he just can't seem to find a shirt is hilarious and just seems to never end. And the angles that it's shot in make it so much worse too. So it's like it's bad to start with, but then they they have him standing and they have her sitting and like gazing up at him like you know, in yeah. wonder through the whole scene and it's like the power dynamic between them couldn't be any more screwed up. It's just yeah, it's not it's not good. Yeah, I, I sometimes does TV blocking ever bother you? Because yeah. ever since we switched to a widescreen format, it seems like maybe we should have eased up on that a little bit. <laughs> but it doesn't seem to have happened for a lot of shows, and it really hasn't for Constantine, and it doesn't help them either. Uh, and also, we we should also mention that the case of like you know, the this this second episode really sets up that this is going to be a procedural. It's going to be a case of the week. There will be a vague overarching thing, but it's, you know, this is what you're going to look at. And it's boring. Mm-hmm. It's really, really boring and uninspired. And the, and that that line about Romany. The last acceptable form of racism. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. That was really not cool. It was stupid when it was thrown in the first place. A Romani princess. And then later it's like, ah, you're a gypsy, so you're evil. Yeah. <laughs> God. Yup. Yeah. Anyway, so this is not a good show. Yeah, we're not Sorry. we're not optimistic on Constantine here. Uh I'm not gonna check back in. Are you gonna check back in? Uh not unless uh not unless a real heavy a heavy hitter like a Mo Ryan or something tells me that it's gotten really good. And even then I'm gonna I'm gonna say, say really Mo and then I'm gonna be really hesitant about it yeah i i mean and watching it back to back with grim too i gotta say it's just the casting on grim is so much better like i like all of those female characters on on grim and i like the performers as well as the writing and so just to like to, to have those two back to back just put it in even more stark relief of damn i mean i i really like matt ryan in that central role but one person does not a show make so yeah. No, and you're talking about a show that also has Harold Perrineau and Jeremy Davies. And didn't use them. No, I mean, Jeremy Davies does a toned-down version of what he basically has always done, but it's not, it, at least in the in the conscience of the show, it's not interesting to watch. No. Anyways, okay, let's, rather than continue to pile on Constantine, as fun as that <laughs> we could be. We, we could do that we for really another half could. hour. Uh, let's, let's say, what wins your weekend genre, Simon? <sighs> um, huh. Oh, I come mean, on, it's between it, Arrow and Constantine. It's not hard. And Yeah, in recognition of it being a good version of a show I don't like, I will give it to Arrow. And I'm going to give it to Legend of Korra, Enemy at the Gate, though I did enjoy Arrow, because that's the kind of show that I do like. Um, so now we'll take a break and come back with our weekend drama.
This week in drama, we're going to talk a little bit about the elementary premiere, enough nemesis to go around, then finally dive in with Kingdom a bit. Uh, This week's episode is Flower, then The Good Wife, Message Discipline, The Affair 4, and we'll spend some time on Olive Kittredge as well, which of course had aired both of its, all four of its parts uh, over the past two days. First up though, Elementary had its premiere, enough nemesis to go around. You checked in with this one. Are you current on Elementary? How much Elementary have you seen? Nah. About as much as I have of Arrow, basically, so virtually none. Uh, like, the pilot. Actually, no, I don't think I have checked in on this since the pilot. So, yeah, it's been a full two seasons. And? What did you think? And? um, I, I mean, everyone knows I'm not a fan of procedurals in general. Not all the time, but sort of as a rule, I don't find super formulaic television to be a, a fun way to spend my time. Uh, and I think that what's smart about Elementary, at least based on this episode, is the way that they introduce at basically as much uh, as as much sort of playful change as they can without basically breaking format, if that makes any sense. So they add another sidekick, and they shift the power dynamic a little. Uh, and, you know, that they, they toy with the idea that, you know, uh, clearly at the end of the last season, they, they shook things up quite a bit and they found a way to, to say, well, we're going to bring it back to more or less what you, what you like, but it's going to be different. And basically they're having their cake and eating it too and doing it in a fairly transparent way. But I think it basically works. Well, and one of the things I really appreciate about elementary as an adaptation of, uh, the Sherlock Holmes stories is that they do change up the dynamic with with Watson and and Holmes. They they have her learn and grow and become better as a detective and uh, more well rounded and more independent. And that's something that never happens in the stories and almost never happens in any of the adaptations I can think of. I, it really is a far more interesting and progressive take on that dynamic. Yeah, I mean, again, I haven't seen it since the pilot, but it's clear that there's been some hard-fought character changes, particularly for Watson, who is the real protagonist of the show. I'm not really sure why Johnny Lee Miller gets top billing, except that he's Sherlock. Um, In in this episode, uh, I would agree. That's not always the case. Not always the case? Okay. Uh, I think the the case of the week is a little bit odd in the sense that I was I was never really given a clear picture of like I don't know where that magnet was supposed to be or like the actual mechanics of it they seem neat but I could have used more explanation of how the crime actually worked because like hey if you're gonna have a cool uh locked box crime like we should really break down those mechanics because that's cool but it seems like they skipped it over either because they hadn't thought it through or because if they did, it would have looked silly. I don't know. Did that bother you at all? No, I followed it just fine. But then again, I have an affinity for and have read many, many a, a locked room mystery. So as soon as uh, as soon as they started talking about um, the the shooter not coming in, I was like, ah, magnets. Yes. So... <laughs> It, it made sense to me. I was able to follow through. And actually, I appreciated that they didn't go into painstaking, like, step-by-step detail. Because the two characters are people who'd be able to make the leaps that they don't need that. Um, even though I... I mean, I see where you're coming from as well. Yeah. Fucking magnets. How do they work? Anyway. Um, so, yeah. I mean, it's never... I don't think it's ever going to be a show that I check in on all the time. But it's... Uh, I I will give it a nicer version of it. it's a, it's a good version of a show I don't like it's a it's a very good version of a show I don't like. 
that's uh you know i feel like you need a tm there for simon you know the official simon stamp of mediocre approval <laughs> yeah it's i it, i feel like i'm going to be bending out uh, bending it out a lot uh but, but i mean this is a show that you know we both dismissed a long time ago so yeah that's something well and and i you know said last year that i was wrong about it when once i caught up with it and i i very, you know, i enjoyed this premiere i like what they're doing and i like that they actually like you say this is a procedural they're not going to change things up too much but i like that they do play within that and that they do explore these characters much more i mean when i compare it to where sherlock has gone you know at first i loved sherlock and was completely uninterested in elementary i would never have guessed that two years you know three years later i would be completely on the other side of it um way more interested in elementary than in sherlock so and it had a and it had a baton fight Let's not forget. That's always fun. Which was way too short, but still fun. Yeah. Yeah. Let's move on to our next show, and that is Kingdom. I already have said, uh, I you know, back before the, sh- the season started, I uh, had seen the first four and read an um, article or review over for the AV Club. I'm a fan of the show and particularly some of the performances. Uh, you've now caught up with the first four. What did you think of these episodes? If anything, I think you've been underselling Kingdom because I'm really into it. Uh, I think that... If I had to sell a, a new person on it, uh, it, to me, it's the almost freakish, exact hybrid animal of Friday Night Lights and Sons of Anarchy, which doesn't seem to make any sense because those are two completely different shows. But I would say that it combines some of the machismo, the general setting, and the... The tattoos. Uh, the, the tattoos and the intensity of a show like Sons of Anarchy while taking out most of the bullshit macho stuff and ultra violence obviously and the sort of contrived setting and then sort of pairing it up with some of the inspirational guru-ness and uh some of the shooting style and the some of the family dynamics of a show like friday night lights not as wholesome but still some of that vibe and emotion is there and it, it finds a way to reconcile those in a way that is somewhat new and that's been interesting to watch i think especially in these first four episodes there are so many plot developments so many characters so many beats that could have gone so so wrong and just instantly been a show killer and so far they've done a really good job i mean for instance in this fourth episode um we get a turn with jay who by the way jonathan duggar is amazing on this show holy crap uh, just impossible to turn away from. Just a totally magnetic performance. Total breakout. Um, what what happens with him and his mom? Uh, I mean, I was not enthused as, as as I'm sure neither were you when that when that character first showed up on screen. And I think the second episode, second mm-hmm, um, third, and and the fact that they've already managed to do something interesting with that and something that I'm not sure that I've seen before uh, is a testament to the to the fact that the show's one to watch for sure. I'm so glad to to hear that because I felt, you know, cuz when I was watching these episodes and writing my review for the AV club, I felt like first of all there was not a I hadn't seen a single thing written about the show other than, you know, hey, there's a trailer uh, cuz nobody was talking about it. And then when it did premiere, the the strongest reviews I saw anywhere were really kind of tepid. Um 
And I think this is a good show. And I haven't talked about it the last few weeks because I felt like I didn't have anything new to say. But I'm so glad to hear because, um, of course, I haven't seen any Sons of Anarchy, so I don't have that uh, to compare to. Uh, so so I, I'm so glad to hear that, that you're enjoying it. Uh, I'm also glad to hear that you're on the the, the Tucker train. The Tucker train, because I, I agree. I think it's a really very strong performance. Uh, I've appreciated that. Like I said before, I've appreciated that actor in, in several roles, but I didn't know he had this in him. And I think he's really damn good. And and and, and, and you obviously didn't know he was this cut, which well, I we, we have to. We, I know that it's a th- you, it bothers you when people focus on that. But it's sometimes there are scenes in this show where you just have to marvel at just how insane everyone looks especially that's the, the scene in the fourth episode where matt laurie is just working out you're like god damn this is this is a thing that i get to watch and it's 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 got an it's got a, an energy all its own well what i'll how i will translate that is say that the the actors are very believable in their roles as mma fighters yes. they embody the physicality of that very well and don't watch this show eating donuts because <laughs> you're gonna feel like a fat ass <laughs> i don't care how in shape you are uh, you know, maybe maybe put away the the bag of chips until after you finish watching, so you won't start judging yourself halfway through. Um, but uh, no, I I, they, I think this is a really good show, and I also you know you mentioned the the stuff with Christina. I like what they do with that um, in this this episode. I like that it's when they don't present Jay's decision as maybe the best idea, um, even just the fact that it's Jay doing it. You know, and then she's just like screaming in the room and he just puts his headphones on like so much could go wrong uh, at any time with this storyline. And yet it's still interesting to watch. Yeah, well, I mean, it doesn't it it stays admirably neutral on the subject. I mean, in the sense that, yes, obviously kidnapping and imprisonment are not necessarily a great thing to do. Not a great life choice. But what would you do? But, you know, leaving your mom to be a heroin adult prostitute, maybe not a great life choice either. So, mm-hmm. yeah, what are you going to do? Rock, hard place. Uh, I mean, there's lots of, lots of other stuff going on here. Frank Grillo is our actual star, and he's great. It's uh, it's always nice to see um, someone who, who's had been a reliable supporting presence in a lot of things get a chance to be a lead, and he's nice and understated. And uh, Keely Sanchez gets a chance to not be thought of as... Uh, Paolo from Lost, and Nikki. she's also right as Nikki from Lost, uh, and she gets a lot of really interesting stuff to do, which I wasn't expecting. The notion that she gets to train Jay to have her own sort of arc, with, with you know, sort of parallel arc with that, I think that's a really smart move. Uh, the, the scenes of her getting wasted in episode three, I think, are hilarious and some of the best drunk acting I've seen in a long time. Well, and I also like that they don't feel um a lot of times when you see a character like that just go to the bar and get wasted, there's a sense there's a an undercurrent of pred of predation or you're worried about her and I like that that's not the case there cuz you know that Jay will just beat the crap out of anybody who tries to, you know, do anything. Um, and so I like that 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 scene is she's allowed to just kind of seem like like she's just having fun at the bar and it feels like a safe space. Yeah. And it's not a sign of she's so messed up. She yeah. has to go get lunch. Like, no, she's blowing off some steam. She has too much to drink. It happens. Yeah. And uh, and also that's that scene in the bar of a guy telling her to smile and her reaction <laughs> was so in line with conversations that have been happening online over the last couple of weeks on the Twitterverse that I was like, man, 
it's too bad that millions of people aren't watching the show because that scene would have practically gone viral. Mm-hmm. No, I, it's, I'm glad that you're on board. Uh, and I know we have at least one listener. <laughs> Brian, I know you're glad that we're talking about Kingdom. I don't know if anybody else is watching Kingdom, but I think you guys should should hunt it out if you you know have access to the show. If, if it's, it's in so few uh, cable packages, it's uh, on the Audience Network, which is a DirecTV network. Um, mm, but... I believe it's on Bravo in Canada. I could be wrong, though. Ah, see, good to know. Good to know. But it has gotten picked up for a second season already, so that's, that's encouraging. And uh, yeah, people should check it out. Yes, and uh, if only, and also if you enjoy Parenthood and want to see Matt Loria play another tortured buff guy named Ryan, there you go. <laughs> there, there you go. There you go. You get to do that too. Well, let's move on to the Good Wife message discipline. Uh, how fun is David Hyde Pierce in this episode? He's very fun. There's a lot that's fun in this episode. I got uh, it was fun for me also because the the Good, the good Wife always airs on time in Canada. <laughs> Which is amazing. Ah, you. I know. So I actually, by the time I, I I hit send on my review, I'm not even sure if it was done airing in the States yet, which must have been very confusing to a lot of people. I'm going to have to keep a closer eye on that next weekend. But uh, there was a lot to like in this episode. Uh, it was it was a, basically a transitional episode because some big stuff happens, but generally only in the last couple of minutes. And we don't really have a chance to see where that's going yet. Uh, we get the addition of David Hyde Pierce to the race. Do you think he was lying at the end or do you think he was being sincere and which would you prefer it is? I, I, I believe him. I think I, I think that he was telling the truth at the end of the episode. And maybe I believe him because that's what I want to be true, because I think it's way more interesting if instead of it constantly being Alicia versus these big, bad, um, heavy hitter um, inside baseball politics guys. Um, and she's the outsider who actually has the heart of, gold uh if if she's more in the middle of the spectrum she's closer if she's closer to castro um maybe than than she'd like to admit and um you know and and uh i i i also like in this episode that we see her just screwing up it's good to to show her um she she's new she's new to politics she's new to actually being the person uh, who's running and so t- t- her just flailing with the elder crime thing was hilarious <laughs> her utter I mean, and especially i think that the 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 last scene if if he's telling the truth at the end that makes their interview make more sense to me as well that, where he's like he wanted to support her so he's trying to like pitch her softballs and she just is overthinking it and just tanks herself you know i think that's more interesting Absolutely, and that's exactly what I said in my review. Hive um, mind. Hive mind. Uh, yeah, it's absolutely a more interesting arc if David Hyde Pierce is just a genuinely good guy, because Alicia is arguably not just a genuinely good lady. Actually, not not it's not arguable at all. Yeah. She, I mean, she's many things, but clearly, I mean, when they're talking about, oh, we can sick the pack on it, we know what the pack is. Mm-hmm. They don't. And uh, so that's always in the back of your mind, which is a smart, smart little play. Uh, so, yeah, having Hyde Pierce around, I'm uh, again, transitional episode because we don't really know where it's going. But I think there's some potentially really interesting moves they can make there. Uh, speaking of which, uh, Finn resigns, from, yeah. uh, which is like the opposite of surprising, but still nice to see. Uh, I, I wish they weren't doing this whole feint of, oh, you can move into our other office. He's obviously going to join the law firm. 
I don't know. I think he's going to move into the office, but not necessarily be in the law firm because then uh, they he's around so they can have them run into each other easily. More elevator scenes. You know how this show feels about elevator scenes. And then also it allows them to come up against each other in court. And they do. And they're good when they're against each other in court. Maybe. But I don't know. Don't you, you don't think that's eventually just going to be like because then you're following the state's attorney's office, whatever it is, Finn Palmar's uh, practice is going to be, and Floric Agos, and whatever it is, um, Lockhart, Gardner, and Canning, which that's it's that just seems like too much, even for the good wife. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up working for them at some point, but I mean, for now, I think that makes sense, and uh, I look forward to it. There was there was uh, peak Finn Palmar. I saw. Um, I was trying to not watch it and go to bed and rest. Uh, and then our buddy Ryan McGee over at Talking TV with Ryan and Ryan had to go tweet about how Finn Polmar was the most Finn Polmar he had ever Finn Polmared in this episode. And I was like, <laughs> you, now I have to watch it. I wish that because they keep fainting that they're going to do entire episodes from someone else's perspective. And I keep wishing that they do it mm -hmm. because it would be fascinating because this episode opens with us actually replaying a scene we've already seen except from Finn's perspective. And we probably get more screen time with him than we have since the episode where Will gets shot. But I, I still feel like they can do more with that character. You know, he's he's he is clearly a, a very nice man who is uh, exceptionally handsome and has great chemistry with Alicia, but is not doing anything about it. And that's all well and good, but I feel like he could still use another dimension. Like, we don't really know what he's... I think the, the reason he remains an interesting character is not just because he has a great name or is handsome, but because it, he is a very distinct presence in this universe, and I would still like to kind of know why. Yeah, I, I would like to know more about him, and I think this will give us, if you take away the, he's a prosecutor from him, what does that leave? And I hope they'll right. take, you know, in the, in the past, that's something the show has done a good job on. They've adapted to change well, and, you know, if you aren't Kalinda, they've done a good job of fleshing out their supporting characters. So uh, I, I like to think that this change is going to lead to more interesting things for them. Um, though I will miss having a friendly face on the other, on the opposing council, so we'll see what they do with that. Yeah, I'm bored of the Carrie Kalinda stuff. Sorry. Yeah, shippers. not good. Uh, still am, especially the whole 30 foot thing was silly. Um, yeah, definitely. No one's around. No one cares. Yeah. No one cares. <laughs> and and the texting thing was silly. Uh, and I'm I'm not I'm really lo losing interest in the whole Lamont Bishop thing. Uh, I'm trying to think. And I'm, my I, my last complaint, and I I mentioned this at the end of my review, is Diane ever going to get a story again? It'd be nice. Just throwing that out there. Mm -hmm. We'll see. Anyway, they can bring Garrett Cole back for some reason. It'll be good. Uh, let's move on, though, to The Affair, uh, episode four. <laughs> the title is four. Uh, and this is the first time we haven't had the two halves overlap. They are s subsequent to each other. So did that work better for you? Um, or are you looking forward to them going back uh, to their original, uh, to the original overlapping storytelling like they've done in the past next week, which they've the producers have already said that it's going to go back to normal next week. <laughs> well, thanks for that. Um, let's, let's get those expectations right where they should be. Yeah. Uh, I think, I mean, this episode does something that it, that the season I think needs to do when it, it literally just sticks those two characters in a set of rooms or a set of intimate spaces for an episode and lets them work each other out. 
And I mean, both actors are doing great work. Dominic West and Ruth Wilson are really great. And this continues to be a show that is doing very considered and worthwhile things with uh, depicting sex, filming sex, blocking sex, uh, choreographing sex even, um, and finding new ways to flesh to ha, flesh out those ideas. Uh, but um, still, I'm, I'm, I'm reticent about the affair still because I, it's keeping you on, like, it's one of those shows that you wish you could just sit down and knock out in a day rather than wait another week to see where they're going with it because it's so well made, but it could so easily be inc- just totally airless and pointless <laughs> depending on where it's going. So I, I still don't know what the thesis is yet four hours in, and that's frustrating to me. Yeah, I don't have anything new to say about the affair. Um, it continued, like, the strengths continue to be the strengths, the weaknesses continue to be the weaknesses, and I don't feel like there's anything new changing up the dynamics. It's not getting worse, but it's also not getting better for me. So I, because of my throat, I'm just going to leave it there, because I literally have nothing new to say. Fair enough. Uh, I, I, but I will add that it's disappointing to me that if they're just going to go back to last, because this is barely a change of format. It's still in, in neatly bifurcated halves. We still get only a little bit of time in the future. Uh, I really desperately need an episode that completely shakes up the format that is, that is maybe entirely in the future or switches to more a Tierney's perspective or something because it's getting to be a little bit on the uh, suffocating side. I'm just going to temper those expectations right now because, again, the showrunners uh, have said that the entire first season is going to be those two perspectives. So, <sighs> yeah. All right. They could be misleading us, but I don't I don't think they are. So, anyways, just know that moving forward so that we can be a little less disappointed when they don't. Let's let's go on, though, to our last show, and this that's Olive Kittredge. Um, I think this is based on a, a novel. I've not read the novel. It was a four-part or two-night miniseries event on HBO with some really fantastic performances. Again, because of my throat, I don't have that much to say about it other than I think it's really good and it's really interesting and thoughtful. But, um, uh, yeah, I don't really have that much to say about it other than good job. Uh, I have a lot to say about it, uh, and uh, I, I don't want to draw you into a, a longer conversation if it's going to hurt your body but um i mean i was sitting because I, I got tasked with reviewing this i haven't written my review yet i started to um started writing about the french new wave and frederick wiseman and the cinematic history of depicting reality <laughs> and, and then i knew I, I was in trouble i mean i What's fascinating to me about Olive Kittredge, uh, which is uh, directed by Lisa Chilodenko, who also did The Kids Are All Right and some other stuff, um, the creatives on this are basically all women. And I, I also get the, get the feeling that Frances McDormand, who's the star, uh, was a real driving force to, you know, getting it made and and other st- other things that I I, I don't want to get into because I don't know too much specifics about the about the production. But it's amazing how revolutionary it still feels when someone makes uh when when someone tells a story about regular people living their lives and yes dramatic things happen but they're not they're weirdly de-emphasized uh or they end up not they end up not really being tied to whatever the larger point is i mean yes this is four hours long there is plenty of death and incident and 
uh, you know, things that you would expect out of, you know, a four hour epic drama set over the course of 20 some odd years. But uh, I think what's most interesting to me is the way that it it, it it's using an extremely uh, it, it's how can I explain this? Uh, it's hard to represent people just living their lives. It's really hard to do. Uh, it's, it's hard to just sit down and write, this is, this is the story of someone's life or like a set of lives in a town and have it feel like it's not horrendously contrived. And you can do that by paring down, or you can do that as we, as we see here by actually doing a lot by saying a lot of things happen and, uh, and there's a lot of stimuli and a lot of characters and it never feels like they're just piling stuff on. It feel it actually manages to feel natural, and it's but it's a constructed sort of nature. That's what I find interesting. It's it's a very, it's a uh, it, it's a very considered and worked over and cons and pieced together sort of reality that actually kind of seems to resonate. Do, do you see where I'm coming from? I'm rambling here. Yeah, I do. And I, I agree. It's a wonderful portrait of a character that is very happy to embrace nuance and complications. I like that. At least, I mean, maybe I'm just difficult, but I'm on. I'm fully on board with Olive almost immediately. Uh, even mm -hmm. while I, you know, I, so I'm t <laughs> Team Olive. I guess uh, it feels weird to say that, uh, while still recognizing the ways in which she can be terrible, uh, and. And so I like that they don't, like, when we, it would be easy to make us, get us to like her, and then, uh, then go fast forward to the future, and her son turns out awesome, whereas her son turns out totally screwed up because of her influence. And, uh, and so I like that they don't pull their punches in several different elements like that. Like, we have... You know, that, that scene with uh, Olive and Henry and at the hospital, they're just terrible to each other. But then they also, in that same moment, they also recognize that they love each other still. That they have accepted everything about who the other person is and they've built this life together. So even when they're saying, I should have left you forever ago and you're the worst and everything, it's like, <laughs> yeah, but it never would have worked out. Because, you know, come on, it never would, you're the only one for me. Uh, and so, you know, I like that it can embrace all the sides of that and the, the, and doesn't shy away from uh, nuance and complication, I guess. And to to tell a story about that, that doesn't like, it would be easy to watch this and be like, okay, but what's, what's the point? What's, you know, and it's about, it's just about spending time with this person, with Olive over her life. And, um, mm -hmm. and that's enough of a story. Yes. And I mean, and that's a radical idea. Like it still is over a century after we started making movies, the idea that you can portray someone's life and that's the story. But what? No, that's the story. But what? No, that's the story. Like that's still a big deal. It shouldn't still be a big deal, but it is. I mean, and the fact that you need all, I mean, everyone does great work, but the fact that HBO can really only get something like this made when there's a bunch of heavy hitters attached. I mean, Bill and Murray is in this thing for 25 minutes spoiler alert but bill murray that's a big deal uh and uh, you know th the fact that, that you need that that sort of personnel to be able to tell 
a normal like a, th- this sort of story tells you something and uh, I, th- I think it's it's beautifully made in a lot of ways and i'm still unpacking it because there's just it's it there's so much we're like we're like to even scratch the surface of this thing would take us hours because there's so many characters if you although only about a tenth of the characters that there are in the book which is by the way somehow only 288 pages long which is barely longer than the teleplay for this thing would have been don't know how that works but uh i don't know lots i i could mention uh but it would take too long i just there was a lot that i'm still thinking about and that i really enjoyed but i think you know you sort of hinted at this and i do want to want to especially mention it i love the way that it doesn't it finds ways to ha- to let its characters be screwed up without pointing fingers and and just saying you know this is how olive is this is how her son turned out this is what his second wife is like this is what their kids are like this is what all these characters are like and uh now mores have changed and maybe now we feel that's bad or maybe and maybe we're maybe before before we didn't it wasn't necessarily wrong then it's not necessarily wrong now just go with it like that was that's a, a the sort of message you don't get to see sent out a whole lot mm-hmm. yeah it's good as he like i said i don't have a lot to say about this one other than it's good because i haven't done the full unpacking because i'm not reading the review so uh yeah uh I'm sure I would not be surprised if this showed up as a DVD shelf choice for somebody down the line. It's certainly eligible. So in that case, we will dive in further. Uh, but there, we don't have plans for that right now, but it certainly could happen. Um, but yeah, if you haven't sought out Olive Kittredge, it's an, it's a good spend, a uh, good way to spend four hours. Just, just don't go in expecting a laugh riot. No. Although some of it is funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, the elephant not- man. That's you laughed at the you laughed at the elephant. I thought the elephant was awesome. I love the way that they handled that stuff. Um, I mean, it was it was definitely interesting. I wouldn't call it funny though. Not funny, but just like, are they really? Yeah. Okay. Are we gonna? Yeah, they're re- they're really doing that. Are we gonna explore this? For... Nope. We're just gonna. Okay. Mm. Another another great thing this does is you know it's four hours long, but it's only four hours long. So there are characters who just drop in and drop out and don't come back, and they don't feel the need to. Uh, I mean, my my favorite example of that is like the Martha Wainwright character, the the singer Angela. who's just around, uh, Angela, who's around, and I assume has more to do in the book, uh, who's around, and we never learn what her deal is. Just that she's smoking and she shouldn't be. Well, and she's, uh, you know, she she starts out. You you follow her. She's in each of the different time periods, and as you get later, she's got a drink with her as, as she hasn't been able to leave the town or become a a, a singer outside of just playing in a bar. Uh, yeah. So there there's a whole world of story there that you can infer or you can think about, but that's not the show. Isn't Angela? The show is Olive. So exactly. And again, this all feels radical, even though it's very simple. And that's something that I'm still thinking about. Yeah. Well, what wins your week in drama? Whew. Um, I did really, really, really enjoy catching up with the kingdom. Uh, also loved Olive Kittredge. Uh, but, you know, only one of them only happens once. So I'll give it to Olive Kittredge. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, I guess I'll give it. I mean, I had more fun with The Good Wife. I enjoyed it more. I enjoyed Elementary more, but Olive Kittredge is the one I'm going to be thinking about, so I will give it to Olive Kittredge as well. 
So that wraps up our week in drama. Uh, a few show notes. You can find a post for this episode up at soundonsite.org, where you can leave us a comment and let us know what you thought of the week's TV. You can find us in iTunes, where we have an M4A chaptered feed and an MP3 unchaptered feed. You can email us at televerse at gmail.com, and you can like us on Facebook to follow the goings on at Sound on Sight TV. Uh, or I should say more, you can follow to follow what we're doing at Sound on Sight. You can also find us both on Twitter. Uh, I am at the Televerse, and Simon, you are? At Sucker Howl. And Simon, what is our question of the week? How do you feel about Le- No! 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 Um, that's that's not think. happening as a question of no. the week. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> just, just thought it might be funny. Um, <laughs> let's see. Uh, I will say, if you had the finger of God and could cancel any network series right now, which one would it be? Oh, seriously? Any? Any. Regardless of ratings. I feel like you have to use that power for good. Well, yeah. That's the uh, whole idea. As opposed to, like, you know, one that makes the most sense. So I feel like you have to go with the controversial... Well, then then you have to cancel Stalker. Yeah? yeah you, you, it, how is Stalker doing ratings-wise? Do I have know? no idea, but I just, like, that... Then that would no longer be a thing that's on our TVs. There are several choices in that vein. Like, isn't Criminal Minds somehow still a thing? That should yep. also... You know, but I but I feel like don't let Stalker become a thing that has a second season. I don't know. What, yeah. do, what do you think? Uh, it's really hard to argue against that as a choice. Uh, so I won't. Yeah, let's kill Stalker. Let's stalk and kill Stalker. Okay, let us know what your picks are for that. That's, uh, I think there's a lot of potential there. I look forward to hearing what you guys think. Uh, but for now, we're going to take a break and come back with Sonia Soraya of Salon, the TV critic for Salon, to talk about live-action network adaptations of comic books. So we'll be right back after this. My name is Barry Allen, and I am the fastest man alive. After five years in hell, I have come home with only one goal, to save my city. We're back with the Televerse. This is Kate Kulzik, joined as ever by Simon Howell. And this week at the DVD Shelf, we thought it was a good time to check in uh, on the various live-action comic book adaptations happening right now, uh, seeing as Simon has, as we mentioned earlier in the podcast, has been checking in on them. And so who better to bring on than Sonia Soraya, the lovely TV critic for Salon, who just wrote about that. Sonia, welcome back to the podcast. Hi, guys. And, uh, of course, this w- past week at Salon, uh, you put up a piece talking about this very thing we're gonna keep this to live action so i know there are many justice league unlimited fans out there who just got very sad uh so we're keeping it live action and the walking dead feels very much like its own thing so we're gonna just kind of stick to this superhero supernatural kind of realm with this conversation and look at the network shows um for the listeners out there who haven't checked out your piece yet, they should. But uh, would you give our listeners an idea of what what you wrote about? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, uh, the Marvel event was this past week, which was um, which announced like their their film slate for the upcoming like nine years or something like that. 
Um, or maybe it's like nine films in like six years. Someone knows more of this than I do. It's film. I always, I can't, I don't know film. Um, but um, I took that as an opportunity to observe that like while Marvel really understands like how to make a lot of money and and to make like successful films that other people, like I'm not a huge fan of their films, but I grant that a lot of people are very excited about them. Um, I think like DC, like their properties are doing much better and more interesting television. So I was just talking about like why that might be and talking a little bit about how each, uh, you know, DC and Marvel have this like historic rivalry of sorts um, and they have distinct styles. So I was talking about why it might be that DC is better at TV um, and yeah, came up, I mean like, you know, I, I sort of had some theories about it. I don't know what you guys, uh, how much you guys like agreed with one of my, what, what, what my, um, like propositions were for like why it works well um but i mean i definitely think at least one of them is that they're not limited by like a movie coming out that is going to have a big plot point like dc's kind of shows currently have like their own like weird little sandbox that they play in um they're not they're not tied to each other with the exception of the arrow and uh flash i'm sorry arrow and the flash and I think that gives them some creative freedom. But yeah, I'm curious what you guys thought about it. Well, and certainly this is going to be an ongoing conversation as as more of these shows continue to come out. We have uh, Agent Carter coming out at mid-season on ABC, uh, which already it's clear there will be some ties between that and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., if only in flashbacks and such. Uh, but then, of course, Netflix has, uh, I, I want to say there's four different shows. They're doing Daredevil. They're doing... Something Jones, Agent Jones? <laughs> I believe you. There isn't that much information about them, if I believe. Yeah. So this will be something that we continue to check in on as as Marvel gets more shows. Because right now there are several DC shows to look at and just the one Marvel to look at. But, you know, I, I absolutely agree with um, the point you just made. Looking at the first season of S.H.I.E.L.D., it's remarkable how much this the season really got jump-started when... Winter Soldier came out, and that allowed them to finally change up the dynamic on S.H.I.E.L.D. There there was so much that wasn't working in the beginning part of that first season, but looking back on it, knowing you know that this huge shakeup was going to happen in the film franchise that was going to affect the TV show, the writers were stuck because they are so tied. And so it's hard not to see that. While there are certainly some benefits to that for the show, there are certainly drawbacks as well. Yeah, I like... I'm also it's it's sort of interesting that I'm like a lot more invested in Shield because I've ha- I happen to have seen more of it, but like the whole time I'm watching it, I'm like God, this is such a bad show. Like they just don't. Like I mean, I think the reason I'm invested is I'm very I'm like what I'm like the only person on the planet that really likes Sky, um, who is played by Chloe Bennett. Um, I think that's her name. That is her um, name. Yeah, she is. I, I, I just, I've, I've watched her and other stuff. I like her. I'm sort of invested in her. Um, I, I'm very interested in how they're going to tell the story of Sky and Ward. But like, it is amazing to me. I mean, I mean, the second season's much better than the first, but it's still amazing to me how much that show I feel just isn't even trying. Um, and yeah, like you know, the Winter Soldier thing was definitely a big step up for it, but. I mean, it's French fries. I mean, this is the thing that I wrote in the piece, um, and I was kind of jumping off what um, Todd Todd Vanderwerf, who 
uh, used to be my boss at the AV Club and is now a culture editor at Box.com. Uh, he wrote this piece about how, like, the Marvel movies are sort of like film fast food, where, like, each one is sort of like a hamburger that's, like, just good enough to convince you that, like, the next time you're driving by the fast food restaurant, it's, like, a good idea to stop for a hamburger. And it, like, it sort of, like, does the job, but it's not necessarily, like... Like, in my personal opinion, I do not think the Marvel films are, like, very good. Like, I think they're fine. Um, and I sort of extended that in my piece uh, to say that, like, each episode of S.H.I.E.L.D. is, like, a single French fry. It's, like, enough to get you, like, to the next fry, like, sort of, like, but <laughs> it's not. And, like, to the next hamburger, but it doesn't really feel like you're, it, it, it rarely feels like you're watching, like, you're, you're consuming something, like, really spectacular. Yeah, it's not necessarily, on its own, it's not particularly satisfying, and certainly it's not very substantial. I don't think you're going to find any argument with that here. Uh, Simon, what, what do you think about, about you know, what we're saying about S.H.I.E.L.D., and how do you see that relating to some of these other shows? Um, I mean, you're absolutely on the money about S.H.I.E.L.D. I haven't seen as much of it as you. I've, I, I watched maybe four or five episodes of the first season, and I've seen a couple from the second. It's clearly gotten, it's become a better version of a show I don't like. Um, and that's actually been, that's been true of all the shows that I've seen in this, uh, area that go on longer. I mean, Arrow is clearly better than when it started. I still don't like it. Um, but it's, it's, it's better at doing what it is that it's doing. It's become a much more efficient version of that thing that I don't like. I, I, I agree with you about the Marvel films. I have no interest in the Marvel cinematic universe. I just don't think it's a good idea. I mean, it's a great idea for making money. And keeping people on the hook. I don't think it adds anything to the art form, really, of film. But that's a whole other debate, I suppose. I mean, my issue with these, with this wave of superhero TV shows is that, for me personally, as someone who doesn't get, care a whit for comics, uh, I need something more than just a well-told superhero story. If I think about the superhero movies that I have enjoyed, like, let's say, The Dark Knight... Or even Iron Man 3, you know, those are movies that manage to be something else while also being a superhero story. Like The Dark Knight is a great crime movie and or heist movie uh, while also being a very well-made superhero film. Or Iron Man 3 is a fun buddy cop comedy from a guy who makes good buddy cop comedies because that was a weird, the rare superhero movie that was allowed to have a creative voice uh, that wasn't just Marvel Studios. That seems to be going by the wayside with them getting rid of people like Edgar Wright, but that's, again, a whole other story. Um, and you're, you're kind of seeing that same dynamic happen in, on a show like S.H.I.E.L.D. where, you know, people saw Joss Whedon's name attached and they thought, oh, so this is going to be like a fun, quippy, intricate, emotionally involved uh, show because it's got Joss Whedon's name attached. And it kind of tries to do that, but it's really bad at doing all those things. Uh, and it seems to be only good at delivering basic superhero world plot beats, which I don't care about. And like... As I'm watching shows like, like you know, Gotham tries to be a police procedural and a superhero show. It just, it just happens, or at least a supervillain show. It just happens to be a really bad police procedural um, while it's doing that. And, you know, Constantine also tries to, tries to do a similar thing, I think also quite badly. Of those, I mean, I respect The Flash the most because it, it embraces its corniness and is doing something that is at least distinct where it's not trying to be gritty 
or break any kind of mold. It feels kind of timeless in that sense. Like, I, I get why people like it, and I get why people like all these shows. I just, I, I guess I'm waiting to see, I'm waiting for one of these shows to break through my not caring about superhero-ness to be a show that I genuinely enjoy on every level. Um, Are there films that you've seen that break through your not caring about superhero-ness? Uh, I mean, I mentioned The Dark Knight and, and The Third Iron Man. Um, and and, the, and you felt those, okay, all right. Yeah. Transcend to the job. Yeah. Okay. I think because they, they did interesting stuff with genre while also doing those genres well, which is something that yeah. I think some of these shows try to do and they just don't. Something that I thought was interesting I saw on Twitter, and unfortunately I wasn't intending to bring this up, so I, I can't remember which critic said it. I want to say Panawasik, but I, I could be wrong. Um, this notion of superhero films and TV being sort of the new Western and there being films that can transcend the genre that we remember as great art. But for a large part of the genre, if you're not a fan of that, if you're not, if you don't like the tropes of Westerns, a lot of that genre is not going to work for you. Uh, and so, and so the greats that transcend that, the searchers or, uh, you know, some of these other truly great Westerns, they, they really are the exception more than the rule. What do you guys think of that connection? Yes, except I don't know that I would have ever considered myself like a fan of the superhero genre. And now that, now that, no, 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 which I think is valid, but it's funny because now that Simon's sort of saying he's totally not interested in this, I'm wondering if I am a fan of the superhero genre um, and like maybe didn't know. I know I am. I, I like a good superhero story. It fits in with my uh, with my enjoyment of genre fiction as well as just, you know, growing up watching the X-Men uh, cartoon every week. Yeah, I mean, I definitely, I I was a huge fan of the first two X-Men movies. Um, I watch, like, Spider-Man. I was a big fan of the of the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man, which right now feels laughable, but I really <laughs> liked that first one. Oh, um, the, the, I, can, I can co-sign on that. The first Spider-Man is really good. And the second Spider-Man is also really good. The second Spider-Man is just the first one again. I don't know why people don't get that. <laughs> anyway, sorry. That always pisses me off. <laughs> um... Why you don't like the first two X Men movies? I'm so I'm so curious about like what the distinction is here because I feel like it's interesting, uh, Simon. Like hearing your thoughts on this, like like you know, so you said like you you mind Flash the least of of the shows that we're talking about, perhaps because it is sort of it's taking its like superhero ness like less seriously, but. What I mean, what were your thoughts on the other the other shows? What did you think, you know, about Gotham? Like, what did you think about Constantine? <laughs> uh, um, Constantine, uh, those first two episodes are not good. Um, the I mean, th- there's obviously some awkwardness with like the the whole getting rid of the first sidekick thing, which is handled laughably badly. Um, although maybe there wasn't a good way to handle it. Uh, I, again, like it, it just feels like a bat, like a corny procedural to me that just happens to be dressed up in sort of genre clothing and okay but what about it because i mean i i agree with you i don't think it's a good show but for me that comes down to the writing and and a lack of care with how the world is constructed they just throw these two uh, like in the second episode we meet zed who i think is an interesting character on <laughs> really you know, on paper on paper but the, the, there's no chemistry between her and and Matt Ryan playing Constantine. They really are hoping that there will be. They keep trying to force it, and it's not there at all. And then they just there's lazy shortcuts in some of uh, the the 
the writing of the episode. So it's like, oh, you're you're a gypsy. The darkest of magic is gypsy magic. You know, like <laughs> I love that. I mean, you know, there's some just really for me. A lot of this comes down to bad writing. So I've talked about it on the podcast several times. Gotham just I can't believe they're wasting such a talented cast on Gotham. Uh, and I don't think it's a coincidence that their best episode was the one that was written by Ben, Ed- ben Edlund and really let Donald Logue do something. Um, so what? try to be more specific, Simon. <laughs> when you say it's bad, what do you mean? Okay. Um, I mean, a lot of it is stuff you already pointed out. It, it, Ari Constantine, oh, there's a lot of corny and or simple shorthand or just, when you say talking about forcing chemistry, that whole sequence where Matt Ryan is arbitrarily shirtless for like five solid minutes to try to establish that they have chemistry uh, really just points out that they don't, that there isn't confidence in this material. Um, wow. I have to interject by saying that I have interpreted this entirely differently from you guys. Oh, Simon, you great. Finish. I would love to hear. Oh, Simon, I really think you should finish your sentence. But when you talked about Matt Ryan being shirtless, being laughable, I was like, hold on. No, <laughs> take this back. Because here's the thing. I feel like Constantine is going to live or die by the charisma of its main character. And like, I I totally agree that like him being beefcake is like not the point of the show. But um I liked the first episode of Constantine like a lot and I realize I might be in the minority on that. But partly that's because he like Matt Ryan as Constantine like couldn't I I think could not be more perfect casting. And like ultimately that's what's going to matter for this show. People are going to watch it. Like I it's hard for me to imagine that, you know, it's going to get canceled, you know, before this first season finishes anyway. Um, and I'm, like, willing to let the show, like, figure out a way to to figure out how to tell this story, if that makes sense. They have a lot going on, as all comic book shows do. But, like, I see, like, to my mind, like, what you just said about Matt Ryan's shirtlessness being laughable makes me think of Arrow, where Oliver Queen is shirtless all the time, too. But, like, that, like, directly plays into the reason people like Arrow, which is that it is sort of this, like, this, like, deconstruction of this character and his charisma and, like, how, like, other people want it. And there's some, uh, I'm sorry, how under other people interact with him. And it's, like, soapy, but it's also, like, fun, right? Well, and maybe that's why I took so long to get on board with Arrow, because I couldn't find a positive review of it that didn't mention the lead's abs. Uh, and... I, every time he was pointlessly shirtless, it just was annoying to me. Uh, so maybe that's part of just, I'm just watching the show differently. For me, that scene didn't work um, because, not because he was shirtless, but because they were trying to force this chemistry between the two leads that just isn't there. I mean, maybe you see it, Sonia, but I really don't. And so then it just felt awkward because there's no reason for him to be shirtless. And if they're, if the two had chemistry, I would go with it. But because they don't, it took me right out of that. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen this episode yet, but I do have a lot of feelings about chemistry, so I yeah. you there. I, I look forward to your thoughts on it, and I agree, actually, I do think Matt Ryan is really good as Constantine. I think he's it's very good casting. Whether or not the show can capitalize it, for me, remains to be seen. What do you think, Simon? Um, he's fine. He's very familiar. I haven't read Constantine. I haven't even seen the Keanu Reeves Constantine, but he is a very familiar type, playing it in a very familiar way. Um... And that's, I mean, that goes to the root of sort of another of my issues with these shows is that they're they're comfortable toying with tropes or just showing off old tropes that we've already seen before. 
and sometimes they can get away with with sort of being passable through interesting world building maybe uh i haven't seen a lot of that in these shows that like Con- like the world of constantine does not feel uh, particularly interesting to me well i mean i should add that like i've read i've i've read constantine in comic book form so um i i haven't read him in the hellblazer comics which would make the most sense but I have read him because he's a character in the first or second, first and second volumes of the Sandman, um, which is by Neil Gaiman. Oh, I've 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 read Sandman, but I didn't remember him being in it. Oh well, see. <laughs> <laughs> mind you, mind you, I read Sandman like twelve years ago. So no, 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 it's fine. I mean, you know, the Sandman is under is a, a Vertigo comic, which is one of DC's like it's like DC's indie imprint. Um, and when they gave, like, Neil Gaiman, like, you know, this thing, they were like, you have to tie Constantine into it because he's one of our characters. Um, so Constantine is in, like, at the, the very first thing that happens in Sandman is that Constantine frees Dream from the prison. Oh, see, there we go. You know who Constantine is. You know what the world he inhabits in. You just refuse to see the light. There you go. I mean, (laughs) dude, if anyone ever wants to do Sandman right, as a show, then They're by all means. To. Although, uh, no, no, they do it right. Who knows? I mean, Sandman isn't a, is wouldn't fit in this segment if they do it right because it is not a hero comic. I well, I, I totally disagree with this. I think that your, <laughs> your division between what makes a hero comic and what doesn't makes very little sense to me because Dream <laughs> is. <isn't really laughs> Yeah, no, I, I'm with Sonya on that one, uh, Simon. I, I don't think just because you like it doesn't mean it's not a superhero Well, no, comic. no. Like, how does <laughs> – hold on. How how would you handle a story like – what's the um, what's the story arc where, that's all set um, that's got a totally different set of characters like this uh, this group of of girls and they, they travel to that other dreamland and then Dream only shows up at the very end. It's a whole book. Um, uh, the kind of about the three graces no it's in the middle it's the the cuckoo something um you... i'm just gonna interject and say we should probably get back yeah to sorry TV. sorry <laughs> <laughs> anyway i'll i'll shorten this by saying that sandman juts out into all kinds of interesting directions that i've never heard of a superhero story doing Honestly, I have to say, though, I think you're not reading the right things. And I'm not trying to be an asshole here. But, like, the superhero story has been so completely blown apart and eviscerated and retold so many times. Like, The Watchmen is a superhero story about superhero stories. Like, The Dark Knight, uh, Jesus, what is it called? The Dark Knight the Dark Returns? Knight. Is that the name of the Frank Miller comic? It's not the name. It's also the name of the last, uh... Christopher Nolan movie. That was Rises. Returns is the Frank Miller one, I think. Oh, okay, thank you. Yes, The Dark Knight Returns. I mean, that's a fantastic comic book. It's a fantastic superhero comic book. It is about a man who is losing and, like, chooses to die. Right, but what what we're talking about, though, we're talking about the, like, second or third wave stories where they start to deconstruct things. It doesn't feel like, at least to me, it doesn't feel as though the series we're talking about are interested in telling those sorts of stories, at least not yet. Well, and it also could be what is being chosen to be adapted. They're, networks are going for the most mainstream, most accessible projects. I mean, that's that, that's to be expected. And so you get a series like uh, like Lock and Key, which I know a lot of people were very excited about being made into a TV show, or um, The Wannabes, I want to say, 
was was going to be made into a live action series as well. And some so some of these other more interesting uh, smaller comics haven't broken through in a way to to get picked up. And so you end up with these superhero stories that are very familiar. How like the, the Arrow really, especially at the start of that series, it's very much. Batman, but not Batman. And uh, we get, you know, fl- uh, the Flash. It's very much the way that that character is introduced. It's a very familiar Spider-Man kind of story. Obviously, it is the Flash, and they've done a really good job of it, adapting that material. And that's part of why I think it's very successful is that they do such a great job of capturing that tone. But there's a reason that the shows that that networks are choosing to to make are these very accessible, very familiar superhero types. I mean, sort of, but I think Gotham is a, a superhero show without a superhero. So I'm like, I'm 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 having trouble. Like I'm 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 agreeing with you, Kate, for sure. But I'm I'm having trouble seeing like, I I feel like there's a little bit of like a stigma being placed around the term su- superhero that I'm trying to like unpack, but I like can't mm-hmm. find it. <laughs> well, Gotham Fair is enough. a Gotham is a special uh, kind of bad to me because on paper. I think it's kind of an interesting idea. Bruno Heller's done some really interesting stuff. He did Rome. Rome was fantastic. Also did The Mentalist, which, okay. But um, this idea of having a show that is a crime story that is set in a world of superheroes but isn't about superheroes is an interesting idea, and that's also been represented in interesting ways in comic form, as I understand it, and also possibly in cartoon form. Um, I just, I'm not, I just, to me, the execution is not there in terms of writing, in terms of the, the character design, not in terms of casting, because the cast is fantastic, uh, in terms of having to check in on these supervillains, um, who we know will be a thing later, but aren't yet, or checking in with young Bruce Wayne, who will be a thing, but isn't yet, um, that needs some retooling to me. I'm curious, Sonia, what you think, this just occurred to me, um, when people look at the Batman films, there tends to be uh, in the conversation of the Nolan films, the uh, you know the Tim Burton films, and Schumacher, kind of those two universes. And usually, when you know, and I could be misspeaking here, but it seems to me people tend to uh, find that the the weaker of the films are the ones that are far more interested in their villains than in their protagonists, with an exception being The Dark Knight. Um, where we got the Joker as, really as a dual image of Batman. Um, and I'm wondering if maybe that's why I'm having so much trouble with Gotham, because it's a show so much more interested in its villains than it's interested in its theoretic uh, protagonist of Jim Gordon. Uh, what what do you think about that? No, I mean, that's an interesting idea. Um, I definitely think, like, Gotham as a setting and the Batman story is like one of the more one of the more tired and also one of the most like romantic appealing like DC properties. Like I I'm like not a fan of Batman. I feel like I should like say that. Like <laughs> I'm I'm like fine with it. Like if that makes sense. I like the Dark Knight. You know, I think the Dark Knight like made me interested in that story. Um but like I mean, I think that the reason that storytellers have focused on the villains is probably because Batman is not a terribly complex character. Like, he's made into a complex character by some interpretations, but it's kind of hard... It's it's hard when you also have, like, 
the the storytelling level of Justice League Unlimited, right? Which sort of has him as I mean, has all of these superheroes as kind of like uh, as as you know, my friend David Sims of the Atlantic had said in that piece I wrote, like these totemic figures of good and evil. Um, the the villains are uh, allow complexity and ambiguity to come into play, and I mean, I think the reason that I don't know. I don't know about the other films. I'm. I'm actually. I'm not. I haven't seen all of the old Batman versions. I've seen some of them. I've seen Batman Forever like several times, and I'm not <laughs> totally sure why. But I have. I'm not sure that I've seen like Batman and Robin, for example. But like, I think that the reason that the villains end up being attractive is because they're the ones that introduce questions, right? Like in the case of the Riddler, it's like literally questions. And I think with I, with Heath Ledger's Joker, which is like literally one of the best performances, whatever. I, I like doing. I, it makes me sad. Um, I think that you get a sense of like. I mean, I think I think like what Gotham the show is doing well, which I think that the Dark Knight also did well, was sort of explain like why Gotham is so scary and also why people like not might not be wholly able to leave or like. Why why they live in this place? I don't know if that makes sense, but I think that like that's always very hard to prove because you're like, why don't you just leave Gotham City and go like across the bridge to Metropolis where things seem fine? Like why would you why would you stay in Gotham City? Why would anyone choose to live there? Um, I think that Gotham does a pretty good job of showing like the desperation that people feel. I actually really liked the episode. Um, with oh god I can't remember which one episode it was but it's the one where um, Jada Pinkett Smith's character Fish Mooney um, was injured well it was auditioning to teenage girls for the same role and then like made them fight each other to like and that like it sounds insane but she was just like well one of you is going to win and it's whichever one is going to walk out of this room and so it's these two like tiny girls and like fishnets and high heels like like tearing each other's hair out and like the one that wins has like blood like streaming down her face and she's like like you know like now what and it was just like to me it really like cemented that sense of like total like like desperation that people feel I think like that's the that's what Gotham can do right that's what the story of the villains can do um I agree that like Gotham is not as good as it could be right now. Um, however, its ratings are fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> yep, uh, I mean, and the the shows that are the highest rated. I mean, I think Shield has higher ratings than these other shows. I don't know how long that'll last. Yeah, I think Shield and Gotham are like on the same level. About um, maybe like. I think I, I was just looking at this. I think Shield. Um, I'm sorry. I think Gotham might be at something like five million viewers a week, and Shield is like five point something. So mm-hmm. they're like they're like around the same place. Well, right. I, I we should wrap up, but before we do, I think there's so much more we could talk about for this topic, and I hope you'll come back at some point, Sonia, so we can talk some more about it. Um, but I feel bad because we've barely mentioned Arrow, and I do think it's probably the best of these the, I would say Flash and Arrow are by far the two I enjoy the most um, so I guess if, from either of you I, I actually have both of you I'd love to hear how you would rank these different shows um, which ones you're most invested in and which ones you are you know at least and which ones you feel like 
even if they're not the best right now, by the end of the season, which do you project as being the best? Oh, you go first, Sonia. I'm gonna, I have to think on this. Okay, I'm thinking too. Um, okay, well, I can tell you what I know I'm going to be watching. Um, I know I'm going to be watching um, Constantine, and I know I'm going to be watching Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, I am probably not going to... I'm going to, like, skip around with Gotham and see what moments I can find that work for me. Um, Arrow and The Flash, I find, like, I like them, and they're, like, enough in the teen soap genre that they're not, like, I feel like I have to, like, watch all of the back episodes and get really invested, so I'm, like, I'm just, like, not there yet with those. I will say that, like, the first episode, the first two episodes of The Flash I saw were, like, fantastic, Um, but they're, like, not... Okay, so your question was, say it again, what do you think is the best one, and which one's going to be the best one? Yeah, how would you, which is the best now, and which ones do you project by the end of the season? Like, will one of these other shows have, do you think has more potential to grow and overtake maybe a more, you know, like, I don't think S.H.I.E.L.D., even if it continues to get better, it seems like they're on a pretty straightforward trajectory. I don't expect exponential growth from them, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I think that I think that the Flash would probably be my pick for the show that's going to become must watch. Like, it, it's it's go, it has the same pedigree as Arrow. Um, it's I think it's going to be very good. They have incredible crossover potential, and they know what they're doing now. And like, I think it's like good now, and it only can go up. I think. Um, and I think that like the other freshman shows like kind of need to prove themselves. I think Gotham and Constantine are still figuring stuff out, so I wouldn't feel comfortable saying that, yeah. Okay. Simon, what do you think? I mean, if I really pick them apart, the one with the most potential is probably Gotham, just because it's the, it's the only one that, now that we've sort of talked about first generation versus second or third or fourth generation comic stories or deconstructing stories, to me it's the only one of them that's really even trying to do that, because it's playing on our awareness of these tropes in a more ostentatious kind of way. So technically Gotham has the most potential to get better. I don't have much faith that it's going to get a lot better, but I want good things for Donald Logue and Ben McKenzie because they're both amazing actors. So um, I'm, that's not really an answer. So I'm going <laughs> to stick to my non-answer. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, and the last thing uh, I'll mention here, uh, cause I've, cause we haven't, but I feel like we should, um, is that I, I we, and I mentioned it earlier in the podcast, but I have to give credit to Arrow for its continual casting of Spartacus regulars, and I wish that more shows would do that because they're really good at stunts, those guys, and then maybe the stunts on these other shows would get better. So that's my final thought. That just makes me sad, mostly that Spartacus isn't around anymore. Can I can I say though that my actual favorite superhero on TV right now is Jane of of, of Jane the Virgin? Yes. Yeah, she's pretty great. <laughs> I, I want to say briefly that I'm also excited for Agent Carter from Marvel. I'm pretty sure it's going to have the Marvel problems, but I think it's probably going to be much, much better than Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah, I think having that period setting and that... I think that gives them more potential. I'm certainly looking forward to it as well. Uh, well, thank you so much for coming on, Sonia. Where can our listeners find you and your work online? Oh, yeah. No, thank you guys so much for having me, uh, despite all of our technical difficulties that our listeners didn't have to deal with. This was nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Thank you guys so much. And yeah, uh, superhero. What? It's always cool to watch this stuff on TV, but go to your local comic book store and buy comics. Yeah. Follow me on Twitter. I'm at Sonia Soraya, and you can also see me at uh, Salon. Okay. Thank you again so much. Thank you everyone for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Televerse. Bye. Bye.